Our God is a missionary God, and we are His missionary people. You're listening to The Scent Life, the official podcast of the Center for Great Commission Studies at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Discipleship, evangelism, disciple-making, all this uh, is the mission and the mandate uh, that Jesus gave to us. But what does it mean in a practical sense? Today, on The Scent Life, we have a guest who's going to talk to us about what it means to leave a legacy and to influence others through disciple-making. So welcome to The Scent Life. Hey, Keelan. Hey, Scott. Welcome to the studio. Yeah, you too. Hey, we're going to have a great day today. I'm really looking forward to this Super excited. So we've got uh, Dr. George Robinson with us in the studio. Uh, George is no stranger to The Scent Life. In fact, he's been a regular contributor for years. Indeed. uh, With his uh, his segment on stepping out of the ivory tower onto the street. But today we'll talk about something a little bit different. Yeah, that's right. So as you guys all know, if you've been listening in with us this season, uh, our main kind of big E on the I chart for the season is... Well, it starts with an E. It's evangelism. Right. And so we want to look at, take a slow motion look at evangelism from a bunch of different angles and have some conversations that we hope are practical helps for a number of you all serving in ministry. Uh, If you're in lay ministry in your local church, all the way up to, hey, I'm out on the field trying to figure out how to incorporate evangelism into my strategy as part of the core missionary task. Like, what does it look like to do all of that kind of stuff? Well, today we have a, a really great opportunity to hear from Dr. Robinson, who's done some excellent work in a book that he's recently written on this issue. Right. Generational Disciple Making. George, welcome to the studio. I'm glad to be here, guys. So just the first thing off the bat, when I look at the book as an Auburn fan, I'm a little (laughs) bit triggered by the cover. (laughs) Uh, There may be a little intentionality behind that. This book released um, in late January, early February of 2022, uh, which as a University of Georgia alum and uh, a big dog fan, uh, I may have chosen the cover art based upon what happened. Black, it's red, it's got X's on the front, it looks like a football diagram. When Georgia won the national championship the first time. Well, the funny thing is, you know, the fact that we won again this year means that this book is still relevant. It's still relevant, so, <laughs> that's right. That's like, right. we need to relaunch this thing, right? For... <laughs> that's, what, uh, that's what we're going to try to do today. Well, and for those of you who are listening and not sitting in this room with us, he is, in fact, wearing a Georgia T-shirt right now. Yeah. Yes, I, I represent. But Georgia is an integral part of my story. That's and right. So. That's right. We may get there. Let's, the t- let's get there right now. So yeah. the book is Generational Discipleship, which it's a unique type of book. I really, mm-hmm. really like the book. Um, all kidding aside, Dr. Robinson and I have known one another 15 years and have both won and lost football games together. There you go. But the book itself is fascinating in the way that you, you structured it. So talk a bit about the vision for the book, the structure of the book, for those that don't have a copy. We'll give some few copies out later in the show. That's right. But just kind of talk about uh, the vision, the structure of the book, and then we'll get to the Georgia roots that that run through the book. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, this book kind of emerges from a question that I get frequently whenever I'm speaking or training. I can't tell my story without talking about the impact of a chicken farmer named Ronnie Mm. um, who— poured his life into me very early on. He's the one who actually led me to repentance and faith and began to disciple me immediately 
taking me out to do personal evangelism with him, with him. And I had never been through training or anything. I'm just literally mirroring or shadowing uh, this guy as he goes out and lives like a minister, and yet it wasn't his vocation. And so that began to really shape uh, my view on what my identity was, what's my purpose. I went on to become a high school history teacher, and many of the contributors to this book were students of mine in my social studies classes uh, back at in uh, the state of Georgia. And so eventually through doing personal evangelism, um, God used that to see uh, dozens of young men come to faith in Christ, and then I got to circle back later on and really begin to pour in and invest them and do for them what Ronnie had done for me. So the the layout of the book is framed by that, a network of relationships. What could your life be if you only passed on to others and walked with them to the point where they themselves are reproducing through evangelism and disciple-making? Yeah, and the great thing about the book is, so you write you write the book, you've edited the book, and, uh, and drawn it, but really each chapter in the book is written by an individual, a young man who's in this chain of disciple making, showing basically the the long range influence and impact uh, that happens when uh, when a guy, a, a, a Georgia chicken farmer, invests in a social studies teacher, right. who eventually becomes a, a seminary professor and missionary. But at the beginning, that wasn't what you were going to be. You're just a social studies teacher, and then the long range impact of what happens there. And so you have each chapter written by one of these men, showing just the legacy. Yeah, and, you know, one of the things that I wanted to emphasize and one of the reasons why I went back to those guys and and asked them to contribute to this is that Ronnie very early on taught me that he's flawed, Mm -hmm. that he wasn't making me a disciple of him. He was making me a disciple of Jesus. There you go. And so what I wanted to convey with this book is that when it comes to generational disciple making we're not making disciples of ourselves we're making disciples of Jesus and if you look at this book we've intentionally organized it to emphasize the diversity mm, that came right. out of this line this chain of disciple making what people are doing is just all over the map but yet they're all disciple makers right yeah you've got uh, seminary administrators in the book uh, you've got church planting pastors in the book, international missionaries in the book, kind of a whole gamut of people. Can you help me address one uh, one issue right at the beginning? And that's this, and I know that this is kind of a, a, a real pet peeve of yours, so let's just go ahead and touch the hot, hot button at the beginning. This, this notion of separating evangelism from disciple-making, as if it's two different things. Hey, I'm going to do. I'm going to be an evangelist, or I want to be a disciple maker. But your vision is quite different. I think it's a biblically rooted and practically rooted. So talk about that fallacy and how you overcome that. Yeah. Well, you know, Ronnie discipled me, but I eventually ended up serving as an international missionary in a very different context. Right. And that context was what we would call in missions a zero to one context. Mm-hmm. And so for me to be a disciple maker, it had to be making disciples from among the lost, those who are far from God. And so when uh, we returned to the States, that really kind of continued to to form in my mind of of what it means to live an evangelistic lifestyle. You're not just 
trying to get someone to say yes to Jesus or to say a prayer or to come forward in the service. You're trying to get them to the point of reproduction mm. uh, for them to be disciple makers themselves. And so kind of the, the framework that I use in the book is organized by this subtly is that the gospel saves us from sin for God into the church and on to mission. And we can't separate those. That's a comprehensive look at what the work of the gospel accomplishes. It's not just justification for, from sin, but it's sanctification. It's, it, it feeds into ecclesiology and, and then ultimately to, to missiology, that everyone who comes to faith in Christ should be discipled to live with a missional identity. Would, would you repeat the way you just walked through that again, just so our listeners hear that again, because I think it was a really key to talk about from the beginning to the end. What are we really after there? Yeah, so when I share the gospel, I try to communicate that the gospel saves us from sin. That's our justification. The gospel saves us for God. That's our sanctification. The gospel saves us into the church, which is the community mm. that God affects our sanctification in the midst of, those relationships, the one-anothering of what it means to be the family of God, like, helps us to grow in our sanctification. And so from sin, for God, into the church, and then ultimately the gospel saves us on to mission. So I think one of the problems with the way that we approach evangelism is it's just like we're aiming for decisions, Mm -hmm. but those decisions are, are not just a you know, oh yeah, I was saved back then, but present tense, Jesus. Mm -hmm. What does Jesus do in your life today? He should be shaping. You should be living not only in relationship with him, you should be on mission with him today. And so if we began to do evangelism, which that's what I try to Mm -hmm. train our students to do, to do evangelism that is that comprehensive, um, it's, it's really going to affect, I think, disciple-making movements. Yeah, Keelan, you know, this really loops back to the conversation we had several weeks ago with Dr. McKinnon. We talked about what is the gospel and what is evangelism. He reminded us, as, as Dr. Robinson is reminding us, that it's much bigger than just this almost sales transaction yeah, or decision. It's a, it's a more robust thing that's taking place when a person is taken from darkness into the light, into relationship with the God who created them, for God's community and part of God's mission. Yeah, I feel like one of the things that uh, I see when, when it comes to this, so let's just take the Great Commission, uh, mm-hmm. the passage, for for instance. Uh, when, you, when you pull these two things apart and you have a, a myopic understanding of either evangelism or discipleship, I think there are ditches in the way that you even interpret the Great Commission. Uh, it's easy for people to, I think, approach the uh, Great Commission thinking of evangelism as, I just got to get them to make that decision, and then I've done the Great Commission. Well, that's not right. It says mm-hmm. to teach them to obey right. all of the commands. That's a lifelong goal here. Uh, the flip side of that, though, is I don't really think we do much of a disservice to the Great Commission, uh, in the context it's in, in Matthew at least, to add the word new in mm-hmm. front of disciple, mm-hmm. making new disciples, mm-hmm. because he's talking to all of the gathered disciples right there and tell them to go make more. Right. Right. And so if we're not careful, we pull these things apart, we can emphasize one to the exclusion of the other. And I think that's a real problem in the way a lot of us approach ministry today. Well, that's honestly, that's the reason why I begin the book. Chapter one is biblical foundations for generational disciple making. And I'm framing each of these chapters as we live out of our identity. Hmm. And so 
Jesus, the carpenter who builds disciple makers, mm-hmm. right? And so his identity, his vocation was carpenter, but his identity was that he was going to change the world mm-hmm. according to the plan of his father, right? Right, And so he begins to do that. And I, I give my nod in chapter one, which I always do, to, uh, uh, to Robert Coleman yeah. and the master plan of evangelism, which, by the way, emphasizes the fact that Jesus' initial call clarified immediately that they were expected to reproduce. Right. And so that's how the whole book begins. And then every chapter from that point forward emphasizes how God took a person who thought their identity was one thing mm. and then transformed them to put them into uh, his plan uh, to, to spread worship throughout the, the earth. Yeah, it's a, it's a great book, and it's a great story that we tell. We've Obviously, we've watched it in your life, and we know most of the contributors of the book uh, from their, their relationship here. But can you talk a bit about um, and, and in the book, there are hints at this, but talk about your process or what is it like um, practically to live a life that's really focused on disciple-making and reproduction? Yeah, that's, that's a big question, but you know, one of the things that is perhaps a little counterintuitive in today's um, philosophy of ministry is— the fact that we have a tendency uh, to judge our successfulness in ministry based upon the crowds that we gather. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that I had to recognize early on because honestly, Ronnie and I were both a part of a mega church in, in Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a huge church and it was growing from conversion growth. I mean, it, average baptisms during that era in the 1990s was somewhere between four and 800 baptisms a year. So these were, um, these were people coming to faith in Christ. But you, you have to break that down. There was a, a time when the stage and the crowds and everything was very attractive to me. Um, but God took me from actually preaching at that megachurch one Sunday and the very next day I got on a plane and flew to South Asia and was in a mega city with six believers mm. who had converted uh, three from Hinduism, three from Islam, and they were now following Jesus. And, and it was my, my mission on that trip to help them to become reproducing disciple makers. And I had about 10 days that I was spending with them, both in a classroom per se, but also in the streets, modeling that. And you know, brothers, when I got on that plane to fly back to Atlanta, um, all of a sudden the luster of that stage Mm. and that audience uh, had worn off. Mm. And I realized, you know, this is really what Jesus cast a vision for, is that our success is not to be gauged by the number of people we can gather to listen to us who likely won't do much Mm. with what we say, but rather success in ministry, success as a disciple maker, is to have a handful of people that you walk through the process until they themselves are reproducing. Yeah, that's good. That's excellent. That's excellent. The thing that I think is, uh, I mean, we've already talked about the way you've structured this book. I think it's really unique, but there's this ripple effect that you start to see when, when you take your eye and you throw it on finishing 
the task mm-hmm. of working with somebody to the point where they are also discipling others that that creates this generational ripple. Mm-hmm. And instead of focusing on how many can I get to hear, which matters that people are hearing, right? But being able to press past that into this understanding of what does it look like for us to see people that are then making their own disciples. And see, that is really my end goal, is getting people to that point. Mm-hmm. It changes the, moves the goalposts, so to speak, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, interestingly, uh, Jesus one time took the disciples to, uh, they were they were in the Galilean region, and they were on their way to Jerusalem, which was pretty much due south from Galilee. And the next scene, they're in Caesarea Philippi, which makes no sense geographically, hmm. because Caesarea Philippi is northeast hmm. of Galilee. And that's where he asked the question, who do people say that I am, and, and who do you say that I am? And when Peter speaks up on behalf of the disciples and he says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus responds and said, you didn't come up with that on your own. Mm -hmm. My Father revealed that to you. And then he used that phrase. He said, you know, I tell you that on that confession, I'm going to build my church and the gates of Hades won't prevail against it. And the interesting thing is that Caesarea Philippi is the geographic location of a temple Mm that was known as the Gates of Hades. Mm -hmm. And so there sit the disciples in a city that's filled with pagan worshipers that are far more numerous than their little band of followers. And it's as if Jesus were saying, look at that, that looks impressive from the eyes of man. Mm -hmm. But this, this little thing we've got going here, this will outlast that. Mm -hmm. This is going to be greater than that. And that image to me is so helpful because sometimes, you know, when I'm gathered last night in my home with um, about 17 or 18 adults from our church that are a part of my small group ministry, right. and we're investing into them, trying to help them to, to live a missional lifestyle where they live, work, and play, you know, it doesn't look so impressive in my living room. But then when you start to hear stories that are uh, lives of being transformed in workplaces around the triangle, and then people are getting a, a vision for, for missions, and you know we're getting ready to send one of our small group members who's moving to Europe mm-hmm. to focus on reaching Muslims there. And you know it may not look like much, um, but that's precisely what God uses to change the world. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I, I love that vision. I think it's the biblical vision. It's the right vision. Your book gives us that, um, kind of raises the bar. Um, George, we got people listening who are missionaries overseas, pastors in churches, um, um, we got men and women uh, serving in different church locations or lay people. Uh, for someone who um, may have never seriously contemplated disciple making as uh, as a passion, as a vision for their life. Maybe they've thought, hey, I want to be evangelistic or I want to be faithful to my church or I want to teach my uh, small group in my house, but not really captured this whole uh, vision of reproducibility and disciple making. Can you give some practical tips or guide points for, hey, if, if you want to do this, here are some things that you need to do, some things you need to say, or, or how would you how would you begin coaching someone who's interested in starting this journey? Yeah. Well, I mean, the first thing ties back to what I just said, uh, spend more time with less people. Mm. Um, that It's counterintuitive, but Jesus modeled it, right? Yeah. He didn't spend the majority of his time with the 
the multitudes, he actually did most of his ministry to the multitudes through the few. And so spend spend more time with fewer people, um, be more intentional with what you do in that time because you're always modeling something. So, um, you know, the the missionary acronym MAL, I've added a few L's to it. So M-A-W-L-L-L, um, I've added uh, to it and, and nuanced it a little bit. But the way that I try to spend my time, and anybody can do this, a Sunday school teacher, a pastor, or, you know, somebody who's not in vocational ministry, uh, spend some time modeling mm-hmm. uh, what it looks like to follow Jesus and fish for men, uh, assist people with that, look look and observe in their lives what they're doing, what they're not doing, and help them uh, to take those next steps. Mm-hmm. Uh, then watch. That's the W. So you you watch them and give them feedback. Mm-hmm. Same principle that Coleman gets at with um, delegation mm-hmm. supervision, right? Yeah. Um, so you're watching and giving feedback. And then you know originally the acronym was leave, right? Um, but I've changed it because I think people abused that leave mm-hmm. and just thought, okay, as soon as you get somebody doing the right things, then like you leave their life. Abandon them. Yeah. Right. yeah, right. And I don't think that is at all what Jesus did, uh, nor do I think that was the model of Paul. Mm-hmm. And so my L's are model, assist, watch, launch, mm. leave, and love. Mm. And so That's good. when it comes to, say, for example, the ministry of Paul, he's seldom spent a whole lot of time in any one location. And yet the the names of people at the ends of Romans or right. whatever like that he had relational networks conveyed that when he left a place physically, he didn't leave it from an emotional standpoint, a relational standpoint, a spiritual yeah. standpoint. He prayed for them. He wrote letters to them. He sent other people to them mm-hmm. to help them to develop. And so mauling people— in that sense, um, I think is something that not only can anyone do, but we should all look for ways to do that uh, in our everyday life. Yeah, yeah, I think that's exceptional advice. If you need to pack it into an acronym, there it is, M A W L L L. There you go. That's yeah. it. That's good. Well, Dr. Robinson, thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate the contribution that your book is to this this topic. I think, again, it's a fascinating way to organize the conversation. I think it brings clarity uh, in a situation where, where we tend to pull some of these things apart. I think you've very beautifully stuck it all together in a way that's helpful. Uh, if you're listening to this and you want a copy of this book, we're going to give away five copies of it to the first five people that get in touch with us and ask. So I would encourage you to do so. It's a good read. Uh, you can reach out to us by email, hit us up on any of the social media. You can find us on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, any of those places. Feel free to share this with folk if you think that it was beneficial for you. And we hope you enjoyed listening to it. We certainly enjoyed the conversation. I pray that it is a blessing for you. And join us again next time for The Scent Life. Go dogs. Ha, 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 ha.